So I feel like Oklahomans are some of the only people who treat our weather people like real life celebrities. I mean, it's normal for me to have an argument with a friend over who's the better singer, Beyonce or Rihanna, and of course the answer is Beyonce. <laughs> but this past week, I legitimately had a heated debate with one of my close friends over who the best weather person in Oklahoma was. My friend and her family thinks David Payne with News 9 is the best, but of course the correct answer is Dave, Damon Lane with KOCO. But in any event, I'm thankful for our weather um, meteorologists, uh, those who uh, work so hard to keep us safe, especially in the season and especially after last night. The storms this past week have been insane. In this season, this time of year, we always find ourselves waiting waiting to see what the weather might bring, waiting for instructions from our meteorologist. And, some time, and some, for some of us, this time of waiting took place in a tornado shelter. Waiting, especially in the midst of the storms, is terrifying considering all the devastations we have and are currently experiencing in our state. It's both easy and understandable for us to get lost in fear and anxiety and the anger and the impatience the storms of life might bring, whether those are physical or metaphorical. It's hard to focus on God in the midst of such storms, especially when there's not a thing that we can do because it's all out of our control and all we can do is wait. But like James reminds those in our scripture reading, which we'll get to in a moment, we are too reminded that after every storm, there is a rainbow. Our scripture reading comes from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Hear the words of our Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you must be patient as you wait for the coming of the Lord. Consider the farmer who waits patiently for the coming of rain in the fall and the spring, looking forward to precious fruit of the earth. You also must wait patiently, strengthening your resolve, because the coming of the Lord is near. Don't complain about each other, brothers and sisters, so that you won't be judged. Look, the judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the, prophet who spoke, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of patient resolve and steadfastness. Look at how we honor those who have practiced endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen what the Lord has accomplished, for the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. James is one of the 21 epistles in the New Testament. The author identifies himself as James, a servant of God, and 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was writing to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. The epistle is traditionally attributed to James, the brother of Jesus, and the audience is generally considered to be Jewish Christians who have been dispersed out of Palestine. Now, as turmoil and violence grew in this region, the Jewish community became more and more frustrated with the corruption and injustice and poverty, which continued for years. War broke out with Rome, and it would lead to the destruction of Jerusalem and the scattering of the people. The epistle is renowned for urging the fight against poverty and caring for the poor in practical ways, standing up for the oppressed and not being like the world in the way one responds to evil in the world. Worldly wisdom is rejected, and the people are called to embrace a heavenly wisdom, which includes peacemaking and pursuing righteousness and justice. In this, we find the epistle to be a real letter with a real immediate purpose, to encourage Christian Jews not to revert to violence and their response to injustice and poverty, but to stay focused on doing good. James wants his readers to be mature in their faith by living what they say they believe. He condemns various sins, like pride and hypocrisy and slander. He encourages and implores believers to humbly live by godly rather than worldly wisdom and pray in all situations. He frames this entire letter within an overall theme of patience and perseverance during trials and temptations. Easier said than done. James calls us to patience and perseverance in tough situations, this is a hard pill to swallow for many of us. I mean, patience alone is a quality I do not possess. But on top of that, he challenges us to remain Christ-like even in troubling times. Now that too is a bit much. But patience is such a vital virtue to have in our lives. On average, it is recorded that human beings will spend around 40,000 hours waiting patiently or otherwise in a lifetime. This consists of waiting for a bus or in traffic, at a doctor's office, for a significant other to get ready, waiting to get a hold of customer service, or for an Amazon package to arrive, and of course, my personal favorite, waiting in the parent pickup and drop-off line. <laughs> as annoying as all those instances can be, they are tolerable, but often the one we struggle most with is waiting on God. We have such big expectations of God. We know God is our creator, redeemer, and sustainer the one who holds every living thing in existence, the one for which everything exists. 
In our greatest time of needs, we go to God with all of our expectations, expecting results convenient for us. We want to go to God with a checklist, and we often say, okay, God, this is what I need, and I need it done in this time frame. But what we fail to realize is that our concept of time is so very different than God's concept of time. As mortals, we measure time from beginning to end. From the time that we wake up to the time that we fall asleep, it's how we measure the time of our day. Our lives are measured from the time that we are born to the time that we pass. We are bound to this dimension and its limitations in the way that we measure time. Whereas God is everlasting to everlasting, when we feel the need that we are in a rush and need answers right away, God is unbothered. God literally has all of eternity. And as hard as we try, we cannot put God in, the bo in a box or mark time or mark God by time because God uh, transcends time. Our creator exists in a, in a realm that we cannot physically describe without limitations. God does not count time like we do. But even in those hard moments of waiting, God remains with us as we see in the example of Job brought to us by James. So James goes on to encourage all those suffering to persevere and endure, and he points to Job as a good example of someone who endured. Now the story goes like this. Job was the wealthiest and most blessed man maybe in the entire world. He loved God very much and was faithful. But at some point, Satan approaches God and basically asks God to put Job to a test. God was speaking well of Job and how faithful he was. And then Satan said that the only reason that Job was faithful to God was because God gave him everything he wanted, family, wealth, land. So God allowed Satan to take all those things away from Job in order to see if Job would still be faithful to God. So Job loses everything, including his family, and even becomes infected with leprosy. He is in terrible agony, both physically and emotionally. But despite all of this, Job remains faithful to God. However, as the rest of the book of Job goes, it tells of three friends that give Job mostly bad advice about his situation. Job finally gives in and begins to curse God and becomes increasingly anger, angry for allowing him, a righteous man, to suffer like that. Ultimately, God does not answer why Job was allowed to suffer. God tells Job that God is God and Job is not God, so Job can't understand God's reason for doing these things. Job finally repents and decides to trust in God even when he is suffering, and because of his trust, God blesses Job way more than he was blessed at the beginning of the book. God restores Job's wealth and his family and his land and blesses him 
for having faith. I've always had a deep appreciation for the story of Job, although it doesn't take place during the time of Jesus. Job gives us insight of what life in Christ is really like. Following Christ, being a Christian, is not about having a better life. It's about living a better life. Following Christ, being a Christian, is not about having a better life. It's about living a better life. And what I mean by this is this. As Christians, we are urged to live a better life, caring for the poor, standing up for the oppressed, and resisting evil and injustice. Through these actions, we find our lives more fulfilled and enriched. But it does not mean that we are totally free from a life of pain, sorrow, or confusion. See, James wants to encourage these Judean Christians to help them make sense of all of their suffering as they await the return of Christ. I think Dr. Esau McCauley, as he tweeted last week, puts it best. Sometimes the breakthrough doesn't come. Christians do get sick and physically die. We lose the job and don't get a better one. But the resurrection and transformation of all things remain our hope. Not the victory over a hater, but victory over death. Siblings in Christ, may we be patient and persevere in all of our suffering, trusting that no matter our circumstance or no matter the storms that life may bring, we know there will always be a rainbow reminding of us of God's steadfast love, mercy, and compassion. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.